Hey, good evening. Welcome to our Bible study with uh, Pastor Jeremy and Mark here. Uh, we're getting into Acts chapter 4 tonight. Uh, really appreciate everyone tuning in and really, really appreciate uh, everyone interacting with us, sending in questions tonight. So before we jump into chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at this first question from Dennis. And it's a great question. Uh, he said, I know the Holy Spirit always has been present as part of the Trinity. Yes, that is correct. Uh, what role did the Spirit have in the Old Testament? It's a really good question. Uh, were men of God, such as the prophets, indwelled with the Spirit, or was Pentecost the first time the Spirit indwelled man? And along those same lines, is the gift of faith God has given me a product of the Spirit's indwelling? Uh, thank you both for your efforts. Okay, so I'll let you jump off. Yeah, super good uh, question, Dennis. Actually, a lot there and all of your different questions. You know, the first thing I thought about when you mentioned the Spirit in the Old Testament actually is literally the very first scripture that we have uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, it's interesting. We think about the topic of creation, but it really highlights the role of the Spirit, almost in this like purposeful manner that to say, hey, look, don't forget about this from the very beginning. Uh, from Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that part, but now verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What a cool, almost like painting that I see in my mind of this image of the Spirit of God being there before the creation of, of anything and being this instrument of creation, if you will. And doesn't that match up so well with what we're talking about now about the creation of faith within us, that this Holy Spirit almost seems to serve as that, as this master creator of different elements. And so when we talk about Pentecost, when we talk about the, the beginning, we see that the Spirit is present throughout all of Scripture. And I think that's the most important element, that the Scripture is always bringing up this individual. And maybe we don't see it as many times as we think, but uh, I think Pastor Mark and I were just talking briefly before this and saw a couple different examples of where we see the Spirit uh, available. Did you have one in particular? I know I have one that I was thinking of. Yeah, so the work of the Holy Spirit has been the same again from the beginning of time. Creating and then also recreating. We think about regeneration, uh, or sometimes we just say salvation. But the way God talks about it, even back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, I'm going to read verse 6, uh, when God is talking about repentance and forgiveness. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your life. This is... Uh, God's, uh, well, his prophecy, his promise, even, that God is working out this plan of salvation. And we see the Spirit's role in it. If you go to Ezekiel, just, we're getting close to the New Testament here. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20. Again, we're talking about Israel's new heart and their new spirit. And this is God speaking again. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. Mm. 
talking about indwelling. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And that is definitely that gift of faith that comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the way God has chosen to, to work in the world. Uh, God the Father, Creator, God the Son, Savior, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we just talk about sanctification, but uh, it is the power of God there, moving uh, over the face of the waters, moving within the hearts of men and women to bring that regeneration, that new faith. Yeah, and Dennis, we're going to look at a couple other verses too. Check out uh, Isaiah 59, uh, verse 21. Uh, and then also Job, we'll look at uh, chapter 33, verse 4, both of them talking about something very similar of this aspect of the Spirit being involved in this work, even in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, as I think about that, you know, for us as Lutherans, we're probably so Christocentric, just always focusing on, on Jesus so much for our salvation, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's such an important cornerstone of our faith that's even mentioned in our scripture for today that we'll look at. Uh, in the book of Acts. But sometimes I think we only see Christ in that 33-year that time span, right? Okay, we're celebrating Christmas. Here's his ministry, all these miracles. Uh, he is put to death. He rises again. He ascends. And there's the work of Christ in this, you know, 33-year time span, when really Jesus is the same way, right? He is present from the beginning of time as we know it and beyond, and has always and will always be with us moving into the future. So don't think about the Holy Spirit just being present in Pentecost or Christ just being present uh, here on this earth. Uh, think about uh, this omniscient God that we had that's also omnipresent, that is all-knowing, that is always with us, that is all-powerful, and so has just probably abilities beyond our own finite thinking that is hard for us uh, as humans, because I think often we want to put things in the box. Maybe we want to put the Holy Spirit only is in the box here or there. But again, amazing question, one that I'm sure a lot of people out there had. And for your maybe wrap up there, yeah, I mean, this is the spirit that is present in all of us, that creates that faith in all of us. And so you may then go back and be like, what about the people in the Old Testament? Could the, the spirit, you know, if it wasn't available until Pentecost, well, it was still there to be able to create the faith in these people. Same thing with Jesus. Don't let people think that when Jesus dies, that he only dies for the sins of the people that are in the future from that point on. When Jesus dies, Scripture tells us that it puts to death the sins of all time, of all those people that were looking forward to the Savior because of the Spirit that was inside of their lives. So again, great questions. Uh, keep sending them in. All right, with that, we'll jump into Acts chapter 4 today. Uh, we're just going to read through it as we usually do, beginning at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's what was making them mad. <laughs> and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and 
all those who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit indwelling, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well, or healed, or whole. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Right in the beginning there, they come out full force, the priest, uh, the captain of the temple guard, which is actually more of like a religious uh, uh, position, not really thinking of like a military position, mm -hmm. and the Sadducees. I mean, they're all there. These are the, the top guys uh, coming at these uh, men, Peter and John, because, like you said, they're upset about what they're sharing, that they're sharing the gospel message with the people who are, who are there. Yeah, at this time, the, the chief priest happened to be a Sadducee. Yeah, I think the Pharisees and Sadducees, kind of two political yeah, parties, yeah. they're the two big ones, like the donkeys and the elephants <laughs> today, maybe. But uh, so the Sadducees, their big shtick was they didn't believe in the resurrection. Whereas the Pharisees, they did believe that on the last day, everybody was going to be resurrected. There's eternal life. And so it's interesting, right? That's the thing that just kind of tripped their trigger and got them so bent out of shape yeah. that they were preaching the resurrection. Well, it's that, life. and it's got to be uh, what is happening because of that, right? These guys would have been there preaching this great message, and nothing's happening, or people are just ignoring them. That's that's one thing, but there's uh, there's fruit that's happening here, right? It says that 5,000 uh, men uh, grew in this, this number. You know, we talk about Pentecost, the number is 3,000. And all of a sudden now we have 5,000 more, and it's his men, by the way, yep. that are added on to this, this number. And so, I mean, think about the growth. I mean, what was the town size that they're gathered in yeah. now at We're this still point? in Jerusalem. Yeah. Think of the outline of the book of Acts, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're still in Jerusalem, just, just starting to spread the gospel. And it's just exponential, the people that are coming to faith. But I think it's also pretty interesting, just that that uh, juxtaposition there in that one verse, uh, or those two verses there where verse three and four, they had arrested them, put them in custody in verse four, but you know what, many who heard the word believed, there were 5,000 that came to faith. Mm. It's kind of, while the rulers were plotting to stop Christianity, God was kind of sitting in heaven laughing. Yeah, like, and don't we see this over and over again in, in all of scripture that, uh, and even today, that every time it seemed uh, Christianity try to be uh, thwarted or pushed down, that a lot of times God uses those moments to be able to strengthen it and to be able to, to grow it. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe some more power to just always knowing that Christ will take care of his congregation as he promises. I thought interesting too, we hear those same exact lines that uh, we've heard over and over again already in this book. This is uh, the Jesus, the Christ, whom you crucified, you know, back at them again, always. And remember, it isn't just for these religious leaders are saying that. They said that to the people before, you know, the ones that are following them now, that those people heard that law, that they were cut to the heart 
it said. And what then they said, yeah, what do we do? Yeah, what do we do We're here? Sorry. We want to be a part of this. And so they're not ragging on these guys or saying, you did, did this and treating them harshly. This is the same gospel message, law and gospel, that they gave to these people that are now uh, following them. Right, and it's the same gospel that applies to me and you and yep. every person here today. Every time we sin, we're rebelling against God's law and his good order that he wants this perfect world uh, to be taken care of. He wants people to take care of each other. And every time we get jealous or every time we tell a lie or every time we covet, uh, we're staining his creation. We are crucifying his, his son. But God raised him from the dead. Yeah. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's, that's, that, really good news. that's that final verse that's in there, right? It talks about, and it's uh, quoting scripture, saying that this one that was supposed to be pushed down is now this, this capstone, this chief cornerstone, yeah. which uh, look forward to Sunday's message. That's part of the scripture that will hit there, echoing that exact same point of the important foundation that we have in Christ. That's our foundation today because it was the foundation so many years ago. Why it's uh, one of the major reasons why it's so important for us as Christians to be involved in the Word and to study the Bible and to know the message that it has given to us. Because it's not a message that is out of date. It is something that is so meaningful for us today. All right, why don't we continue on? Uh, next section then, moving on to verses uh, 12 through 22. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note because these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was, get this, over 40 years old. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that conclusion. I mean, you think about time span of, of life within this period. It is not like you and I have today. Uh, this man who is over 40 years old is already more than, than well into his, his yeah. years. And kind of jokingly saying that uh, that's something for us to be able to, you know, thank God for today of the lifespan that we have. Oh, for sure. It's really neat to see the familiarity of that was there in the context. You know, Peter and John are talking to, uh, you know, Luke is writing this. But the way the chapter starts, right, listing off Annas, the high priest, the Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all of the, those who are in the high priestly family— and, you know, hearing a little bit earlier, especially when Peter is preaching uh, the first sermon, it's, uh, he talks about this Jesus whom you know did these miracles. And, well, you don't say that unless 
the people you're talking to, the 3,000 at least, right, actually, actually know, know knew who Jesus yeah. of Nazareth was. And it's almost like the same with this guy who's crippled. He's over 40 years old. They knew this yeah, guy. He'd been crippled for decades. Yeah. I mean, everybody knew that guy. Yeah. He's the guy yeah. that sits at the temple gate when you walk out and he wants alms uh, every Saturday. Uh, and they say, yeah, we, he's been crippled for life. And now look at him. He's standing right next to them, healed. Interesting, uh, even more is, you know, uh, they, they talk about who the men are that do the healing, right? It's not just the fact that they have this guy who is uh, crippled that is now healed, but it's the source that it comes from. Uh, the scripture really calls them, they're just these, these ordinary men that they haven't been brought up, you know, uh, like the other religious leaders that are there. They aren't properly trained, if you will, and so they're, they're astonished because they see that these are just these normal guys. Uh, what, is the, what is different about them than us? One thing, they were with Jesus, it says. Mm -hmm. And how, I don't know, there's gotta be a correlation for us too, whether we see ourselves as being ordinary or thinking we know uh, more about scripture or know less about scripture and don't feel comfortable. The fact that we are with Jesus is what truly gives us uh, you know, confidence and courage to be able to preach the word to others and to properly be able to share. I think you made an uh, excellent connection to us today because I think so many people do feel like, well, I can't really share my faith because I don't know enough. And, and the reality is, and, unless you're a pastor to 99%, not even higher than that, nobody is going to come up to you and ask you, did the Holy Spirit indwell humans in the Old Testament? Like, that's a question they're going to save for a pastor, right? But what they can ask you and what you can share is what Jesus has done for you in your life. Whatever your story is, whether you grew up in a Christian home full of love and you've always known how wonderful God is and how just blessed your life is, or whether you've been through war or job loss or divorce or abuse or and you've seen God carry you through those hard times. Everybody has a story yeah. uh, of where Jesus, just because we've been with Jesus, and we, see, we know what he's done in our life. That's what we can share with other people. And in that story, look what stands out in, in the story of Peter and John. It says, verse 13, when they saw their courage of these ordinary men, that's what makes them say, you know what, look at the courage that they have, the confidence that is there. And there's something to go along with that, with the story that Pastor Mark is mentioning that you have, when that courage and confidence is placed behind it, people want to, to listen, that they know that you are, are telling the truth. It's something that you are invested in. And you know what? If somebody does ask you that question, you can tell them, hey, go talk to, to Pastor Mark about it. Or you can even tell them, like, you know what? I, I don't know the answer, but I will find out the answer for you. You don't have to make anything up. And don't be ashamed if you don't know an answer. There are things that people will ask me that I do not know what the answer is, even in uh, terms of scriptural knowledge. And sometimes I need to look at something and I need to research something. The sermons on Sunday don't just come out like, like this. It's time that Pastor Mark and I take to be able to get into the Word and think about that. And the more that you study, the more confidence you will have, the more courage you will have, and the more answers you will truly have at the, at the end of the day. Before we move on to the next uh, passage, I, one thing I didn't want to us to gloss over and, and miss is that uh, 
Peter and John were arrested. Mm. Just think about that for a second. For healing a man in the name of Jesus and then telling people how God now has eternal life to us through Jesus, they were arrested. They were put in custody overnight. They spent the night in jail. And this wasn't a nice American jail with cable TV. Uh, and their captors, their uh, arresters, were the same authorities that had just put Jesus to death not too long ago. Oh, yeah. Were we two months out? He even says we're looking now. at ways to punish them, right? That's what they're meeting over. How right. are we going to punish these guys? And so I think we go through trials. Honestly, we all know we have, we're very blessed. But even still, uh, just our human nature, any little bump in the road or any little uh, quarantine, uh, it's like, oh, no, this is, this is terrible. Um, maybe we think or for a minute that life would be so much better if we didn't have any kinds of uh, struggles or we didn't have to experience trouble. Uh, but I think it's so cool just to see over and over and over again how God works through terrible things always bring about his good purposes mm -hmm. and to be used by him and, and just think how Peter and John's confidence in God grew through that just this even one experience and of course they went through many so you know it just built oh, yeah. and built and built their faith alright you want to read the next section when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them and when they had heard it they lifted their voices together to God and said, this is their prayer, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, mm. there's David speaking in the Old Testament by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, against Christ, Messiah. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and uh, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What a prayer uh, that they lived up. I mean, right. even after they've just had this uh, <clears throat> interaction with these relig religious leaders and uh, they know God's on their side, they could have prayed for anything, and they do lift up this threat, if you, would, if you will, that's there. You know what? They actually... I can see them actually praying for these individuals. You know, they lift them up and they pray that God will take 
care of it. You know, it doesn't say, you know, God avenge us or God destroy these guys. It simply says, you know, God take care of this threat as you best see fit. Not tomorrow or right now because we need to keep doing our thing, but we trust in you. And what we need, Lord, is to be able to continue to speak boldly. So you take care of them. We trust you will do that. And also, you know what, Lord, take care of us as you see most fit all in order to be able to increase your mission and ministry in this world. Yeah, I think it's this uh, little section here in Scripture has always uh, made me feel a little guilty. I haven't been in this situation, but when I imagine myself in their situation, just being arrested, spending the night in jail, being given a very stern verbal warning, right, got off, you know, without any real big punishment, but saying, you're going to stop preaching in Jesus' name. Then going and telling your friends what they told. Okay, they said we can't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And knowing that, well, if we do it again, we're going to get arrested again. Probably going to get flogged this time. If we do it again, we'll probably get arrested, flogged, and maybe even crucified, finally. Mm -hmm. They didn't pray, oh, God, please keep us safe. Oh, protect us. Oh, don't let any harm come to us. That's not, nothing like that is in this prayer. Nothing at all. They said, let us speak your name even more boldly in the face of this opposition. Yeah, yeah. Man, that makes me think that maybe they saw something with their eyes that convinced them that Jesus was God mm. and Jesus actually rose from the dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The only so, way right? that makes yeah. sense in my yeah. head. These guys would be crazy, all of them crazy together. And it would have happened to happen at some point in time, right? Because you back up in the lives of the disciples and we hear about them denying Christ. We hear about them hiding in the upper room for fear of mm. people coming after them. But all of a sudden, when the risen Lord comes, this proof that is granted unto them, it changes them. So either all of these men, uh, and many others, by the way, become completely insane all at the exact same time period, or they do receive some type of very clear physical message of seeing who Christ is and knowing what he, is, what he has done in their lives. Mm. Yeah, what a change. Yeah. But they also have, obviously have tremendous faith in God's control of mm. the situation. So mm -hmm. even though they name... Uh, Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate, you know, these were the humans who had executed these, made these decisions, but it was all according to God's hand and his plan, his predestined plan. So it's all in God's hands. I like, what happens. I like that after they pray, this place starts shaking, right? Like, and I, don't, uh, I think you can pray decently, but I don't know if I've ever seen after we close in prayer with you that yeah. the room starts shaking, so keep working on it. You're gonna yeah, I am going to keep working on that. <laughs> well, and it says the Holy Spirit. Uh, filled them right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, we know that happened on Pentecost. We know that happens in, in baptism, and uh, I don't think it's it's not a one-time thing, right? It's almost like this refill that happens. Yeah. It's not like he ever leaves. Yeah. It's not like he's leaving and coming back. It's just kind of like this reassurance: the Holy Spirit's still with God. I'm still with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus said. I'm still with you, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Hmm. And we get these constant reminders. I know uh, a lot of times I, I try to trip up our uh, middle school confirmation students with, uh, when we get to the, the sacraments, uh, I say, okay, after we talked about kind of what everything is. Okay, so you come to church on Sunday morning, and the pastor, the very beginning of the service says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. 
Well, I got all my sins yeah. forgiven. Okay, and then like 30 minutes later, you walk up to the front and you get the body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's like, well, did I commit that many sins in the last 30 months? It's like, why do I need, oh yeah, and I'm baptized. And when I was baptized, that forgave all yeah. of my sins. And so the question I ask is, if we're forgiven in baptism, if we're forgiven in absolution, why do we have to come up for communion to get forgiveness again? And that's such a typical human question because it's a terrible question. Mm. It's not why do I have to, it's why do I get to? It's like, yeah. wait a second, that is salvation and life? That's the assurance that strengthens my faith? That's the peace of God, the joy of God? Yeah, give me more! Yeah. And that goes back to the 23rd Psalm, the way God lavishes his grace on us, right? My cup runneth over, mm. right? You had a coffee cup right there. And you wanted a refill. I took the entire pot and just poured it into your cup. I might do that just to be funny anyway. <laughs> hope you don't get the burned. Is not too high. Yeah. yeah, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> All our jokes are friendly jokes. <laughs> but that's God. You say that's wasteful. Don't do that. That's exactly what God does with yeah. His Spirit. Yeah. Just lavishes it way more than we need. Never ending. All right. Finally, the last section here, verses thirty-two uh, to thirty-seven. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, who owned lands or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Words that we've kind of already heard echoed from, you know, the first study we did at the very beginning of Acts and in chapter 2 talking about uh, these individuals that just care for each other so much that they'll just do anything, that no one is in need. We keep hearing that over and over again. No one is in need because everybody is caring for each other so much. And it's neat to see that this isn't like a, it isn't a one-time thing that happens uh, in this moment in the book of Acts, but it's something that is continued, that as the church continues to grow, people continue to provide. And think about that, you know, we talked about 5,000 people today, so there's more people amongst the believers that are actually in need. So there needs to be more that is being provided at this time and you know what a challenge for us as a church to ask ourselves you know how are we doing with that uh, not that people need to go out and sell their homes but think about that i mean it's talking about people selling their their houses their possessions their fields all to make sure they're providing for people who are around them yeah and i think uh a lot of times when this passage comes up or the, in acts chapter one the similar statement yeah, people do what, well, is that what I'm supposed to do? Mm. Uh, am I supposed to give up everything, sell everything, and just give it to uh, the church? Yeah, Desert Foothills, 29305 North Scottsdale Road, Scottsdale, Arizona now. Now, I think it's really important, right, to recognize, uh, again, this is discerning uh, God's word. So there are prescriptions in the, the Bible, and there are descriptions. You know, a prescription would be, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. The second commandment is just as important as the first. 
That's a prescription. He's telling us that's what we need to do. That's what everybody should do. A description is, like when Luke tells us about the rich young man that comes up to Jesus, says, I want to follow you, and Jesus says, well, go sell all your possessions, give it to the Lord, and then you can follow me. And he walked away sad because he wasn't going to do that. Well, it's not a prescription for us to sell everything we own, just like this isn't. This is a description of what happened and what was going on. But we learn from both. And what we learn from this description is that their attitude about worldly stuff and their attitude about wealth was very clear that God owns everything. I'm just managing it for right now. And I want to manage it to give the maximum impact to God's kingdom. And so, does that mean I have to sell everything to follow Jesus? Hmm. No, it doesn't. But what I ask myself is, and again, this is where I feel scared or guilty, is what if Jesus did say that to me? Would I just do it? Drop of a hat? No qualms, no questions, no reservations? Sell it all? Give the church maybe had to be a monk or something? Live somewhere where they couldn't eat me? Hmm. <laughs> But would I be willing to do that if Jesus did ask me to do that? Yeah, tough, uh, tough call there. I mean, I think something that I want to say makes it easier for them, but uh, part of the encouragement behind that is that very beginning of that section where it talks about, it mentions that unity again. It talks about that they're all in this one mind. Uh, what does it say here? Uh, all believers were in uh, heart and mind, one heart and one mind. And so they're unified together so much so that they want to do anything that they can to strengthen the spiritual life of the, the person that is next to them. Mm-hmm. Even if it's somebody who maybe they don't even personally know, but they know that it is a believer. And, you know, I, I think about this, and I do see this alive and well in our own congregation too. I mean, gee, just this, this past week, Somebody came in and just donated their stimulus check that they got. They said, you know what? I got this, and somebody else somebody else needs this. I want to put it toward the Benevolence Fund and be able to support people in our congregation, in our community. Uh, just this week, somebody came forward, several people came forward, and said, you know, I'd like to contribute to having uh, better equipment for the online presentation because this is reaching so many more people than we ever thought it could. Let's invest in this and reach more people. People that they may never see, may never know, until maybe even uh, on the, their, their, their final presence when they're in heaven and somebody comes up to them and says, hey, thanks for, thanks for investing in that, that camera. Because yeah. of that, I heard the gospel uh, one day and I am here because of your investment. And we think about those things and how important that is. And as Pastor Mark said, I, I feel the same way, and I think most people would too. It's hard for us to be able to give things up, but when you see the benefit that is eternal, it completely changes your motivation. And we do have that unity together. So thank you to all of our people who are invested in that and who are making that uh, a priority. And I challenge again to all of us to make sure we are doing those things. Maybe kind of an interesting conclusion there. At the very end, Alston just talks about this, these last two verses are thrown in. Joseph the Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's so funny. They're going through and they're sharing all these things. And all of a sudden it's just like, oh yeah, this one guy did this yes. too. Uh, the funny thing is the son of encouragement that he is called will come into play later on. And it's almost like in this moment, 
Luke is actually making this brief like introduction of him, yeah. right? Just so you know, yeah. Let me let me give you a little foreshadowing of this that is, which is yet to happen. Yeah, this is his heart, right? Yeah, and we'll see what he does later. With that, I mean, it kind of just abruptly closes off there. Lots to be able to, I think, in this week, give us encouragement as believers. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been thinking about just with our context today, uh, wherever you were at of uh, looking at the, the church and government's uh, control or intrusion sometimes on that, this topic is probably pretty at hand. Um, but one of the things we always count on and always think about is uh, our Lord's calling to be able to appropriately follow the commands of the authorities that he has put into place. And also at the same time, make sure that we're pushing that gospel message out. And the great thing is with the technology that we have today, uh, our church uh, from day one of this entire pandemic has never paused or been closed. Uh, we've always been open. We've been engaging with more people than ever, more people than ever in our Bible studies, in our worship services, uh, in so many different venues. So don't look at this today and think, oh yeah, this is just like uh, what's going on today. We need it to get back at people. Uh, we will have the time in which we will be able to, again, have those in-person services. If you haven't been able to join us for our Saturday uh, communion services, get online, please, and sign up so we can have that worship time together. And I promise, and Pastor Mark, in the same breath, we will be able to be able to meet uh, soon enough once again here. Yeah, the church is never closed. It's a force that cannot be stopped, uh, Jesus promised. And I think that'll be our devotion maybe tomorrow morning, or uh, Friday morning, I think. Very good. Uh, but yes, it's great to be a part of that. And yeah, we still proclaim this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you all crucified, but God raised from the dead. And nobody is stopping us from proclaiming that, speaking in the name of Jesus. Very good. Well, with that, why don't we uh, close with our own prayer today? And uh, we'll cap off with that. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, again, uh, we praise you for the time that we have to come and uh, meet in the Word today. Uh, most importantly, of acknowledging the time that you come and are here to be able to meet uh, with us. Uh, Lord, as we look at the individuals in our scripture text for today and the courage and the boldness that they have because of your Spirit, we ask that you will give that to uh, unto each of us and all of those watching today. Uh, that we will be courageous to be able to share the story that you have provided through your spirit, uh, that we will not be embarrassed, that we will boldly proclaim uh, Christ crucified, and also be able to show everyone around us exactly what that means to be able to be a redeemed child of God. Continue to be with our uh, churches uh, around the world, Lord, as we face all different types of onslaught from so many different uh, areas from so many different places where we know that you are always in control. Uh, most importantly, we recognize that even in these times, you have caused your church to be able to grow and to flourish. And so if that is your will at this time, please do so uh, throughout all churches across the world and through us here at Desert Foothills. Again, we thank you for your son. Uh, we boldly proclaim him and uh, we give praise in his wonderful name. In Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, Thank you, you for joining us. You feel it? That's oh. how good the prayer was. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> Remember, uh, every chance you get, speak boldly about what Jesus has done in your life. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye.